Hello, welcome to Fatal to Prejudice podcast. This is my very first episode with my very first guest. I got my boy Ricky here. Um, fun fact about Ricky, we met, sort of met, nine years ago uh, relating to fraternity events uh, where I was pledging brand new member. He's an alumni member. Uh, and I had to reach out to him and uh, kind of connect with him on a personal level. So it was a pretty cool experience. Never knew his face until today. <laughs> um, so we reconnected during COVID, obviously virtually, and he started his journey as a financial advisor and has continued it to this day. And, uh, yeah, so he reached out and was like, Hey, do you want to be a client? Here's what I have to offer. I thought what he was doing was spectacular in the financial industry. And uh, I said, let's go for it. And so we've connected a couple of times ever since. And now this is the first time we've met in person since we've known each other for nine years. So welcome Ricky. Thank you for joining me for the first episode. It's good to be here. I like the idea of calling this episode 001 with a lot of optimism about how many episodes you're going to have. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be in Columbus, um, get to see the house, the studio, the lab, whatever <laughs> we're going to call this. Thank you. Um, yeah, and thanks for the kind words. Um, you know, I love what I do, and, and part of my job is just about getting to know people on a personal level, and it's been cool to reconnect in that way. And um, I think we were talking earlier and we both remember the call of about nine years ago when we first met, but don't remember much of the content. So that's kind of fun. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to start. So yeah, fraternity life, Phi Theta Pi, Tiffin, Ohio. Yeah, go Tiffin. Go Dragons. Go Dragons. Um, so where, I remember what I was doing on that day I called you. Do you remember what you were doing? Um, I'm guessing it was after work at a company that I worked for that I will not say the name of. Um, I don't, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio. I know that much. That's about the extent of it. I would love to hear what you were doing. Okay. Yeah. So I remember that I was with my pledge brothers that day and we were running around uh, it was either a Wednesday when we didn't have class or it was like a weekend, but it was probably a Wednesday cause we were working. Um, and we were going through campus. We were leaving. So I think it was like the, the Heminger building, like the brand new athletic building that they just built. And we we're headed back to probably the Fi house. And I was like, shit, I got to call this guy. Like I need to get this <laughs> task done. Like, damn it. <laughs> and so I called him up. And we're in um, one of my pledge brother's cars. It is, you know, it's February, like northern Ohio. It is ass winter. <laughs> like it is, it is terrible. And like, yeah, we were just driving down the road, and I was like, all right, I'll call this dude and see what's up. And so we, I don't remember the conversation at all, and we just kind of connected a little bit, and somehow like hit it off as like friends. Uh, like first impression and then like didn't talk at all for the <laughs> nine years <laughs> so and that's how you build a relationship yeah exactly <laughs> that's that's the foundation of relationships right there i think the fun part of that is i probably gave you advice that probably was okay but i thought was really really good 
um, that would be very different than the advice that I would give today, I think. I, I think that was mainly what it was, was talking about what I felt was important about the fraternity and the experience of pledging and my opinions on the moments and activities to cherish and, and focus on. So I'm guessing that's probably what we talked about, and I still think that's good advice, but I think a big thing is just I must have been 22, 23 at the time, so the advice that I would give then versus the advice I give now is probably very different. But Yeah. Um, what was so you pledged in what spring of nine ish? Yeah, right. What was like what was I guess your experience like that like with pledging because I know that like Fraternities get like a bad rap, right? Yeah, and like there's always bad news about it and we have We as a fraternity have connected about it and like this sucks like we have a good rep on campus like neighboring colleges know that we're like good fraternity like we don't deal with nonsense like i guess kind of shed some light on what pledging was like for you yeah that's a, a really good question um i was a, immediately attracted to becoming a phi because all of the leaders on campus were phis um you saw them around campus in leadership positions um they were doing cool events that you know were all-encompassing and welcoming um, so that is kind of where it started. I don't remember who I became friends with first, but I started connecting with some of the Fies. Um, and I don't think they were intentionally recruiting me. Maybe they were, um, but they were just being friendly. Um, and if I'm allowed to share names, uh, I met Andy and Corey probably around the same time and we became really, really good friends and it just kind of made sense. And at the time, um, some of my other friends that who weren't members, Alex and Nick um, were all kind of weighing the options of pledging and it was the only one that made sense to us so we went through together it helped that we already had a pretty good relationship with a few of us and we were really excited about the experience and we took it very seriously um, I think there is a bad rap and I think there's a lot of stories that get told you know there's not a lot of headline news that gets made about the cool boring stuff that fraternities do it's the crazy illegal things that make the news <laughs> um so yeah i, I think it's kind of hard to define it's just it was a group of guys it was a true brotherhood i think that's what connected us um, i don't remember exactly how many i guess to address the elephant in the room we do have an anonymous we're gonna call my agent in the room how many <laughs> nine nine pledges that sounds about right uh, and we took nine? it very yeah we took it very seriously we joked that we were going to be the best pledge class ever whether that was the case or not but we were very serious we took it very serious we followed as many rules as we could we came as prepared as we could um, so it was very serious um, it was a lot of fun um, i think partially for me it was harder because i was friends with some of the actives already specifically Andy, who's very, very funny, one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Um, and we have very similar taste in comedy, and um, you're not supposed to laugh during pledging, which was, <laughs> was very difficult for me to do with someone like Andy. 
Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was, it was about bonding. Um, that was the pledging experience and not bonding through anything questionable, but bonding through, we have to accomplish something as a unit. And, you know, we were taught, told consistently and learned a lot of lessons through this that, I, you know, I still think are really important today. Um, you know, specifically being a neophyte. And I remember Corey used to ask us every day, you know, tell me something you learned today and realizing that there's opportunity to learn and grow every single day. Um, you know, it's probably you know one of the first experiences in my life where it was about a lot less about me and about us and doing something together and accomplishing that. And, and a lot of it was just learning the history and what this was about and tradition. Um, and it was just, it was a true brotherhood in, you know, a really, really cool way. And then, you know, beyond just the immediate group of friends that came in, we made lifelong friends. Um, I was in several weddings of, of people that were on the pledge line, uh, which is really cool. That's fantastic. And yeah. It's a fun thing to be a part of and, you know, all the trips and all the stories. And unfortunately we don't get to see each other as much as we should, especially with you know, the last year and a half, the way things have been. Um, but you know, you saw a little bit of it today when we get together, it's just, we pick back up and stories tell and who knows how much truth is still in those stories and how much <laughs> they're exaggerated, but you know, it's a good time. And you know, at the end of the day, I think you know, life is about memories and you know, this group of guys is people I've some of my fondest memories with, you know, Trevor, for example, uh, I met my wife at his wedding. Really? Yeah. I didn't that know Trevor did before. Know. I don't think I knew Trevor before pledging. Um, I was a groomsman in the wedding and Ellie was a bridesmaid. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's like, let's dive into <laughs> Ellie. Like I know that you wanted to talk about her. I and, do. Like, she's yeah. a huge part of your life. Like I want to know about her. I've never met her. Yeah. So I, I'm glad you got in this early cause I don't know if she's going to listen to the whole podcast. So I get a chance to say <laughs> shout out to my, my beautiful wife, Ellie. Um, yeah, Ellie changed my life. Like, like seriously changed my life. Um, I met her at Trevor's wedding. Um, she went to high school with Lindsay. Um, and this is like a funny story that I think about of, I have a job not related to my degree in criminal justice. I went to a small school that was very expensive. Um, <laughs> you know, looking back, it's like, hey, that didn't make a lot of sense. But you know, when I think, well, if I would have gone somewhere else, got a different degree, I wouldn't have one made these incredible friendships that I made right. away, but I wouldn't have met Trevor, wouldn't have been his wedding, wouldn't have met Ellie. Um, and like I said, Ellie changed my life. So, um, yeah, met her. Um, careful how, what to say here. Uh, when was that? This like, was, was this, this was like a few years after graduation and college or like, I want to guess it was 2014, November of 2014. No, that can't be right. We got we got the agent on a fact check. Forgive me. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like 2014 was about right. So you met her like two years after you yeah. graduated college. About three years after college. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, first impression was okay, but not great. Um, she recalls uh, Lindsay yelling at us because we were told not to consume any alcohol, and we had um, up to that point. Not at the wedding. This was like rehearsal. Everybody relaxed. <laughs> um, <laughs> um and from there I, I just thought she was attractive i liked her um and i think the day of the wedding the morning of the wedding i said hey trevor do you think Lindsay could put a word in with the girl with the hair i didn't know her name she just had she had big hair trevor instantly no no chance 
I said, come on, dude. No chance. And then Lindsay was like against it completely. <laughs> like, like, no. <laughs> like, even to Ellie was like, you do not want to be involved with this guy. Um, <laughs> and we ended up, I talked her into, like convinced her, like really, really convinced her to go on a date with me. Um, but after the wedding, we had a, um, a cocktail hour before the reception of just the bridal party. And there was actually a, a, one of Trevor's friends was trying to hook Nick up with her at the time, um, which was kind of funny because he was pl- trying to play wingman. And one of us mentioned London and the other ears, other person in their ears perked up and said, London, I know London. Um, and we started chatting. We found out we both studied abroad in London at the same exact time. And then we just started chatting from there. And it was just like travel was really, really important to both of us and a life-altering experience. So we chatted about that. Um, and we were hitting it off. And Nick is uh, objectively more attractive than I am. So I thought it was over. I thought Nick had won. I'm like, whatever. Screw it. I'm going to drink and have a good time. Um, and then Ellie asked me to dance, and I said no. Uh, and then she drug me out on the dance floor, and we danced. Um, and then I got her information and um, talked to her into going on a date with me. And she went on a date. I was living in Cincinnati at the time, so it was like a two-hour drive. So um, she was dating some scrub at the time, and I talked <laughs> her into leaving him for me. Sorry, Ellie. Um, <laughs> um, and then we dated long distance for like a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, back started and off forth. long distance. Yeah, started off long half. distance. Yep. Yep. She, um, like every other weekend almost. Yeah. And you were driving two hours? About two hours, yeah. I think it was right about 100 miles. One way? Yeah, one way. Just to see her on the weekends. Yep. Wow. That, yeah. That's how every love story starts today, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it's weird. It was in a time where, you know, it's hard to meet people. Um, Online dating is becoming much more accepted, and uh, I was very fortunate to meet her in a really cool way. You know, yeah, that's awesome. Disney is listening. You know, we'll sell our rights to the story. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, this isn't a the rest is history story. Like, this is actually a pretty cool story from what I'm aware of. Like, yeah. You guys got together. Um, what, you moved in together and then moved to California? No, so close. Okay. Um, so I was working at Fidelity Investments at the time. Really, really enjoyed the work. I was ready for a new type of position. Um, and what I wanted, I was working in a call center, which was, I enjoyed the work. I didn't like the call center component. And I wanted more of a relationship with my clients rather than transactional. So they said, you can get that, but you need to go to one of our branches. So some of these firms have tons of branches. Fidelity has something like 270, maybe now they have like 300 branches. Not a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to leave the company yet. So I said, look, if we're going to make this work, like step one, we got to get to the same place. Like we're right. at about capacity of, of continuing this long distance thing. Like I'm happy, you're happy, like you need to figure it out or, or we, not. We need to figure out a next step yeah. in this. And I love Cincinnati. Cincinnati was great. I had a great time in Cincinnati. Made a lot of great friends. But I didn't have any family there. I liked to kind of bounce around. You know, I was there for four years. I'm like, I was about ready to leave anyways. Uh, so Indianapolis made a lot of sense. There just wasn't any opportunity with Fidelity. And I said, how do you feel about going somewhere new? She said, what do you have in mind? 
and I just tested her. I looked at the first job opening on the list at Fidelity and said, how do you feel about Edna, Minnesota? And she said, no. I said, good. I don't want to go to Edna, Minnesota. <laughs> um, you passed the test. And I said, seriously, though, there's an opportunity in Southern California that looks really, really appealing if you're up for it. And she checked the weather and said, yes, let's do it. Um, so, yeah, first time we ever lived together, we were living 100 miles apart, and we flew you know, 3,000 miles away to live in a very overpriced, small apartment close to the beach in Huntington Beach, California. Wow. Yeah. Left left everything. Left, left everything. Left your friends, left your family. Yeah. Left your fraternity, sorority, if she was in one. Yeah. Like, all your close friends just up and gone. Yeah. So, I have a little bit of a reputation of um, doing that. Um, <laughs> I was, I left, so I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, I was excited to leave, so I left at 18. First person in my family to go to college. I didn't know anybody there. Um, when we went to London, it was just me and Nick. Um, we didn't know anybody. That was obviously made it easier knowing at least somebody. Um, and For sure. Since I moved to Cincinnati, I knew a couple people that were either in Cincinnati or, or planning to move to Cincinnati, so that was a little bit easier. Um, but, yeah, I just bounced around kind of a bit. And I think when you're younger, it's not that big of a deal. Um, when you get older, it was it was more challenging. And I think California was, was more challenging because we were older and it was Ellie and I together for the first time. It was, you know, we were focused on, I was focused on my career and we were focused on, on us. Um, but yeah, left everything behind. Her family wasn't thrilled about it um, at first. You know, I was this, this relatively new guy that is, you know, taking the daughter away from the hometown to California. Um, you know, I can see how that can be a little bit scary. So I did have to have a little bit of a sit down and say, here are my intentions. Um, fortunately those came true. <laughs> I stuck to my word. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it didn't feel like a big move looking back now. It's definitely a big move at the time. Did not feel like a big deal to me. Right. Um, so you move out there, mm -hmm. you have a job at Fidelity. Mm hmm did she have a job or did she like move out there on a whim with you? And it was like, I'll find one when we get there. Or um, kind of both. So she was an editor for a magazine, uh, actually a national sorority. She wasn't in a sorority herself. She oh, is now, cool. she's been um, a special initiate into the sorority. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Zeta Tau Alpha. She wrote the magazine. Um, and just for clarification, cause I made this mistake when she told me she was an editor, I confused that with proofreader. She did a lot more than that. It was a very hard job. Um, <laughs> she wrote like, the feature articles did a ton of work did a lot of interviews really really cool job um interviewing uh people in the sorority alumni cool things that were going on um so there was kind of that connection too that greek life was a big part of our life so she was um planning on just saying southern california there's opportunities i'll figure it out when i get out there so she wrote a resignation letter moved out of california their magazine comes out quarterly and they said can you just hang on till the next quarter so we can get this one finished before we have to replace you. She's like, sure. That turned into a year or two years or whatever it was. And then she resigned again. And um, they said, can you just stay on? We'll just let you work remote. So then she, she was ended, doing remote work before it was cool. Yeah, this, I think this was 2015. I really do. 2015, 2016, something like that. 2016. It was 2016. So, yeah. So we joke, and we'll get to these parts of the stories, that she hasn't been in an office since – early 2016 amazing jealous yeah i'm so jealous yeah and like there was a lot of good things about it but there was also it's not as glamorous as it sounds you know we moved to a city where she didn't know anybody and she worked from home right. so didn't have any of the work relationships either um 
so that was definitely challenging. But yeah, she just stayed on and, and then ended up finally resigning in, in 2019 when she had to say, for real this time, I'm, I'm leaving. Um, but yeah, so she worked as, as an editor for a magazine, worked from home while I worked from the office. Awesome. So then there was this actually really cool part where you guys are like, I'm done with California. Yeah, yeah. the end is, is almost as exciting as all of that. Um, so yeah, I spent about three years out in California. We lived about two years in Huntington Beach, one year in Long Beach. Um, really cool experience. I mean, it's beautiful out there. Um, you pay the sunshine, sunshine tax. It's expensive. Um, but it's cool. And, and I think one of the um, strangest parts is as hard as it was to be away from everybody, um, it was just Ellie and I. So we focused on us. And, like, we became intimate in a very deep level, you know, beyond just the basics. We got to really, really know each other. Um, and that was challenging, but that was our focus was I was focused on work. Um, I can have some tendencies to be a workaholic, um, but I like work. And then it was just her and I, and that was it. And we made some friends, ironically enough, like every friend we made, like was leaving California in like a couple months. Um, <laughs> we had made one friend who was really, really cool guy who was Irish, but he was living in Canada and was like on temporary visa really good friend like i'm like oh this is great like fine like we made a really good friend and then he was like visa's expiring i have to leave um we met uh, a really cool um woman who was a traveling speech pathologist i believe was the role and she was only in california for like three months and we caught her like halfway through and like it was great and she's friendly we actually met up with her a little later down the road but we just like kept having trouble making making friends even like Oh, finally, this is working. And then they would bounce. Um, and then I had to work friends, but especially in finance, I think in sales jobs and a lot of these roles, it's easy to just, you're just talking about work. So right. even though those people are, are really good friends, uh, it can, sometimes you want a, a little separation from that. Uh, but yeah, so I got to the point where I guess long story short, I had a really, really good mentor and he said, let's focus on financial planning. Um, I was essentially a number two advisor. He's like, let's solve financial problems. Let's help people. And it was a lot of fun. And we were helping people and it was creative. And you know, it was like solving puzzles. And I really felt like we were doing good work. And then he left. And then it felt a lot more salesy all of a sudden. It was, let's push people through the process. Um, so I didn't like that. I felt like we were taking advantage of people in a very subtle way. And people didn't really even appreciate that they were maybe being taken advantage of. And promises were being made that there were no intentions of being kept. And real, real quick, let me let me interrupt you. That yeah. sounds like I'm not a financial planner. I don't know your industry, yeah. but it sounds like, from my experience, that's the typical sales pitch from yeah. financial planners. Yeah. So, so you're going against the grain here, back a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't feel right. Um, yeah. So that that's very common. Um, the big firms that can be really efficient and. Yeah. Uh, and I'm certainly not talking negative about Fidelity. I, I really enjoyed my time at Fidelity. They're really, really good at what they do. Um, they offer a lot of, of low-cost options, and we, they do a lot of really good things. But I look at it as when someone comes to me as a financial advisor and says, hey, I'm going to hire you. They're saying, "Not I'm just trusting you with my money, not that I'm just trusting you with my life savings. I'm trusting you with my life goals. Um, and it just felt like they were just being pushed through the system. Um, and that works well for some people. Um, and I'm like, I don't like this. I feel like this isn't right. Also, you know, I grew up from humble beginnings in Youngstown, Ohio, 
helping rich people who live by the the ocean make more money didn't feel like I was having a big impact on the world. Um, so I felt really burnt out. Um, during this time, I had saved, I think, what most people would call a reasonable sum of money for retirement. I paid off $60,000 in student loan debt. Um, How fast? Um, I think it was seven years that I did That's that. faster than a lot. Yeah. Six or seven years, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty quick. It was one of those things. I got quarterly bonuses throughout my career, and that money went straight to student loans. Everyone else was talking about, what are you doing with your bonus money? I'm like, bonus money's gone. Yeah. Sally May is getting the, <laughs> getting the student loan or getting the bonus money. Um, so, yeah, I paid off the student loans. Uh, we were close to getting married um, at the time, and I just said, why am I working harder than I need to for money that I don't need doing work I'm not proud of? And I took a sick day. I felt burnt out. And Ellie turned to me and said, let's quit our jobs and travel the world. And I said, yes, let's do that. I forgot that's what we were trying to do. It's always been a goal of mine, especially since studying abroad. Always been the goal of long-term travel. It's, it, I felt like a light bulb clicked where I was like, I forgot this was what I was working for. I got so busy doing what I was doing that I forgot that this is what we were trying to do. Yeah. Um, I was so wrapped up in I've got to be successful in this role mm -hmm. that I forgot the reason I'm doing that is because I need to make enough money to go travel. And like when you say that she said this to you and you're immediately like, yes, was that that was genuinely the case? Like I, there was no step back. You were just like, let's do it. No, I joke is the best medicine I ever had. Uh, I don't know if I think some people can relate to this, that you maybe take a sick day. And then you call in sick and you instantly start feeling better because maybe you won't really – your kind of mind is tricking you into yeah. like, hey, I'm, I'm stressed out. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of that. I was literally laying on the couch and she said that. I shot up. I said, yes, let's do it. We're doing it. Um, so it took us a little while to plan. But, yeah, and so I accomplished all those things I was really, really proud of and that I felt like was needed for a strong financial base for me to kind of do whatever I wanted. Um, paid off student loans, um, saved for retirement. We got married in November 2018 um, on a Saturday. On Monday, we bought a house in Indiana um, that we were going to use kind of as a home base, but mm -hmm. we were going to rent out on Airbnb while we traveled. Um, so to me, as a, a kid from Youngstown, Ohio, student loans are paid off. First person in my family to go to college. I don't have any student debt. No debt at all. I got a reasonable sum of money saved for retirement. Um, getting married. We bought a house. We're about to travel the world. Financial incentives out the window. What else am I, you know, who cares what I do next? Yeah, you're young. You're what, how old? I'm 32. So at the, Ooh, time, at the time, 30. I was 30, 30. When, we, when we traveled, yeah. Yeah, so you're like, what? I, I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. yeah. We're and, not getting any younger. And that was part of it. And that's what was is kind of tricky is with, you know, my specialty is retirement planning specifically. Um, so this is against the grain of, you know, like don't spend your money, save it and wait till you're 65 to live your life. And I said, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to no. me. Uh, and my dream was always, I don't know if you're familiar with the fire movement. My dream was always to yes. save as much money as possible, mm -hmm. sit on a beach as, as soon as I can and do nothing the rest of my life. Um, so we took the trip and I missed work way quicker than I thought. And I'm like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't what I want. And uh, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I was terrified. I, I walked away from, um, I think I can, be relatively I walked away from a fair amount of money um, that if I would have just stayed for a couple more years it would have been you know a, 
hard to walk away from that. You know, that was a part of the decision. And I'd say, am I doing this for money or am I doing this because this is the life I want to live? And um, I just said, it's not worth it. It's not not worth the energy. It's not worth the time. It's not sitting worth here it. for sixty hours a week making a paycheck every other week is yeah. just not worth it. It's, it's not, not bringing you happiness. Yeah. At, at what point is enough enough? And I easily saw that waiting two years to you know for this money to vest and get paid on that money mm-hmm. was going to turn into another two years and another two years and then before I knew it I was stuck um, and and life had passed me by. So I said, no, screw it. I checked with Ellie. I double checked with Ellie. I said, you know, I want to make sure you're comfortable with this too. Um, and she was, and yeah, I said, screw it. I think young people come to the realization that work is going to be a big part of their lives. And we just want it to be rewarding and fun. I don't think that's asking too much. Like I, you know, if it's going to be at least a third of our lives, like shouldn't we enjoy it? Shouldn't it be rewarding? And I think purpose, absolutely. And I think purpose is, is really important to us. I think especially as we get older, we want our values to align. And I didn't feel like my values were aligned. So I said, whatever we do next, we're going to choose passion over paycheck. And travel has always been a passion of mine. So I said, we'll figure it out. And we took nine or ten months and took 2019 and traveled. And we went to 23 countries, four continents, um, a little bit all over. And it was a great trip. Very, very difficult. You know, we, we talk a lot about the highlights. There are certainly some lowlights. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world to travel as a married couple and figure that out. But incredible trip. Incredible yeah. Trip. I, was, I was just about to ask you, like, what was the worst experience of traveling for 10 months? Yeah, good question. Um, it's, I think it's just tough being away. Um, part of it is when we left California, we started or when we said we're going to leave California and it took a while to plan this trip that we start thinking like, okay, we're going back to Indiana, which is where Ellie's from. And it's at least close enough to Ohio for me. It's like, I'm finally going to, you know, I haven't seen friends in a while. I haven't seen family in a while. I've missed some things. So we're going to get to do that. And then we go, okay, well, actually we're going to go <laughs> away <laughs> before we do that. Um, so that was hard just being away from people. I think the hardest thing from a, a trip standpoint is there got to a point in the trip where I was feeling frustrated that it felt like, we were doing things that Google told us we were supposed to do rather mm-hmm. than really experiencing it. And I think there's a, a challenge of expectation and reality of like what's in your head versus what actually happens. Um, but it felt like I love museums. I like going to museums. Those are a lot of fun, but I don't want to go to a museum just because Google tells me to. And if it's not content I'm really that interested in, it's, you know, felt like why, why are we doing this exact again? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, Oh, cause it's the top thing to do according to a couple of lists. And it's like, well, I don't know this is exactly what I want. So that was really challenging that I didn't feel like I felt like we were tourists and I wanted to feel like a global citizen. Um, so that was challenging. It, it turned into a, a bit of a, a fight, but it was really just a communication. I wasn't clear on what I wanted. Ellie wasn't clear on what she wanted and communicating that to each other was difficult. But that cha- the trip changed right after that. We figured it out and started doing experiences. And so instead of going to you know, the top museum, we would go to a museum because I was interested in AI and this place had a demonstration of a humanoid robot. And uh, we went to uh, a dojo and had a ninja experience. And we learned how to bake uh, Portugal's national pastry um, at this lady's apartment and taught us how to bake. We went to a place in Croatia that it's been in a farm that's been in this family's in this guy's family since like 
1300s and wow his mom made us bread and we drank homemade liqueur and we ate um um meat from wild boar that he killed and we ate like fruit off the tree and he's it was an olive oil farm like that's what it was we had olive oil and we had bread and sat and we had a view of the water incredible and like everything changed that because it was experiences at that point it wasn't checking a box of did i see this site Mm -hmm. so we did a bunch of stuff like that um you know in brussels we did chocolate making classes and all those types of things and it was like this is what we were looking for this is what was missing and and that's when things changed that's awesome. So you guys went like, what was the what was like the best country that this you is, went to? <laughs> well, this is a question we get a lot, and it's too hard to answer. So I want to preface by saying we answer this based on the twenty three countries that we went to on that trip. We each traveled independently before. Um, I think I've been to thirty countries total. I think Ellie's been to thirty one, so she jokes that I'm a tourist and she's a real traveler. Um, <laughs> We've got a top five of that trip. So I want to preface by saying London is my favorite place in the entire world by far. Um, But if we're talking just this trip, we only spent a couple days in London. It was a really good experience. Got to see some old friends. Um, We have a top five. All right. Let's hear it. I think it's got a little something for everybody in there. So I will say if if you're a new traveler, you don't have a lot of experience and say, I want to travel, but – you know, hanging out. I don't know where to go. Hanging out in Asia is a little bit intimidating to me. Europe sounds great, but that's a big step. Um, Western Canada was incredible. Absolutely love it. That's a great baby step in the travel. Um, It is a little expensive, but you can understand them for the most part. Um, It's easy (laughs) to get around. Uh, It's, it's beautiful. We went to uh, Vancouver and spent a few days in Vancouver. Uh, Beautiful, super expensive. That's why we only spent a few days there. Um, and then we drove to Banff National Park. Like oh, you went to Banff? Incredible. We went for Ellie's birthday. So it was June. Incredible. This is like this is a surprise for me. I didn't know that you did yeah. that. And that's like a bucket list, top of the bucket list item for me to go there. I had no I expectation. Can't wait to go. I had no expectation of Canada. And it blew me away. It was yeah. incredible. People are surprised when I say like Canada is I don't know if it's the number one, but it is very high on the list. Of, yeah. We went around the world, and like literally in our backyard is, is one of the coolest places I've ever been. And Yeah, and it was great. We actually were supposed to go – so Banff is not cheap either. We were supposed to go to – I want to say Calgary. I don't remember. We were supposed to go somewhere, and Ellie's like, let's just stop in Banff and see Banff real quick. And it was blew us away. This downtown area is incredible. And I was like, screw it. It's your birthday. Um, and I'm conscious of spending cause we're trying to make this last for right. you know, basically a year. So I said, screw it. It's your birthday. Screw Calgary. We're staying here. Let's see if we can get a deal. So we went and talked to the hotel and they gave us a couple extra nights, um, and just spent the money, spent like three days in Banff. Incredible. We met some of the nicest people in the world and it's just, it's, it's mind blowing how beautiful it is. Yeah. That like, I've seen quite a bit of YouTube, uh, on Banff and I'm just like, this is, this is another world yeah. on how beautiful this place is yeah. and I cannot wait to go. And I had a trip planned out like right before COVID happened and it fell through a couple of things personally. And then like now we've went through this and I'm like, God, I just need to get there at some point. So that's exciting that you've been there. Like I I had no idea. 100% recommend it. I'm excited to see more of Canada. Like I, seriously blown away like itching to get back to canada and 
I think it's a great like first step for someone. And even if you're a seasoned traveler, like there's a lot to love about Western Canada. And we we rented a car, so we drove it like eight hour drive. Stunt like it was. We took photos everywhere we went. We have different albums for all the photos, and we took something like seventeen hundred photos in ten days or something like that. Oh, um, awesome! Yeah, like ain't like it's literally just trees on the road. Like I'm like look look at how cool this is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like let's it's a rest stop and there's like this dope river. I'm like look at the river. Uh, you know I did lose my drone in Canada. So that little asterisk of I wasn't thrilled about that. Um, that didn't go well. But yeah, great. So that that's definitely if you're. Not sure where to start and want to go somewhere and kind of tiptoe into travel, 100% recommend Canada. Yeah. Um, the more – what? Get oh, I'm closer. So, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, the more challenging places. Um, so if you're the other end of the spectrum and you want to try a little bit harder places, I would say worth tiptoeing into Asia. Singapore is incredible. Um, definitely in the top five. Uh, everybody speaks English. Super easy to get around. Uh, expensive as well. If you've seen Crazy Rich Asians, that's Singapore. Dope, um, but not cheap. Um, get a Singapore sling. Um, just mind-blowing the development in Singapore. Um, and then in Asia, we love Japan. Is awesome. I think Japan's on a lot of people's bucket list. Go. Absolutely on mine. Yeah, it's really cool. We went to Tokyo, Kyoto, and we were in Osaka, but only for like 12 hours, and we were exhausted. Uh, rolled, uh, rode on the bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. Uh, did the ninja experience in a dojo. Uh, yeah, just a very cool vibe. What was that ninja experience like? It was awesome. It was great. Like I, what? Um, what do you do? I got to. We got to dress up. Um, he showed us some moves on how to like defend ourselves. Like he would come at us and I would like hit him with some moves that he taught me. Um, uh, we got to throw ninja stars. We got to shoot like darts through like a bamboo, whatever. Oh, nice. So you're doing like all the movie stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were like supposed to be other people in there. This happened to us a couple times. There were supposed to be other people in there. Just us. Just personal class. Yeah. Just us awesome. hanging out, um, rolling around doing ninja stuff. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, similar, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Kyoto or, or Tokyo. We did um, a tea ceremony. Same deal. There was supposed to be a group and it was just us. Us and this instructor showing us how to you know, properly present tea and make tea for guests and how to drink it. And there are certain ways to put the cup when you're finished or you've had enough. And it was great. Sounds interesting. Uh, one of the one of the mutual people that we follow, like in a spotlight on podcasts and books and stuff, he talked about a, a tea ceremony that he went to in New York City that it was like very similar setup. Uh, Ramit Sethi. Okay. Yeah. Like he talked about it in a Tim Ferriss podcast, and I just thought that was like awesome. So it's cool to know someone who's done that, and then like two highly positive reviews. Yeah. Sounds like I would love to do that. Yeah, it was really cool. It, it's. Japanese culture is very, very formal, and yeah. you know it's just like you're supposed to sit a certain way. The cup is supposed to be a certain way if it's turned one way, and there's there's different dishes you use. Like this is only you bring these dishes out when company's over, and it's the more formal wear rather than if it was just friends. And it was awesome, and you learn so much about culture just by like something like that. Yeah, um, something Ellie found, and we got lucky again. It was just us. So yeah, 
That was fantastic. So what what uh like what other places did you guys go see? So to round, so there's a lot more and there's a lot of good stuff um, that we'll definitely get into. Let me round out the top five. So the last two, Croatia, that was incredible. Uh, had a really really good experience there. Um, lost my Apple Watch. If we're going to continue my losing Bummer. things along the way, um, that is somewhere in the bottom of the Adriatic Sea, uh, unfortunately. Um, great experience there. Just had a, the people were so friendly. Like we stayed in split. That was one of the things we did to try and kind of offset some costs and just get off the beaten path a little bit was mm-hmm. let's stay in maybe the B city. So instead of Dubrovnik, we stayed in split and split was awesome. And the people were so friendly and it was just like incredible. And it's hard to wrap your mind around some stuff. They're like, Hey, this palace was built in the year 300. I'm like, I understand those words together, but like my my head, it's hard for me to understand a world. I didn't that, expect that sentence to go the yeah, way it went. Yeah, I've heard those words individually before, yeah. but never in that order. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really weird. And like I said, they were just so friendly. Um, I was an Airbnb host at the time. We stayed at a lot of Airbnbs, and the guy was just so funny because he's like, uh, was just super friendly in general. He brought us some homemade liqueur. His wife made pastries. He brought to us. And we stayed like in this little apartment, and he's like, "You, you, you, Airbnb host from California. You, you help me." Uh, so it was just funny that we just like California, you know, yeah. had one little Airbnb in Indiana. He assumed I'm like this real estate mogul or something that <laughs> <laughs> I can help. Big him. shot. Yeah, exactly what he thought. Yeah, um, and he's like, "Yeah, like Split. No one, like ten years ago, no one came to Split. It's a shipping town. Like literally, the ships come in, they unload, they bounce." And he's like, yeah, and then some show called Game of Thrones come out, and now everybody comes to Split. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, so, yeah, you just everyone was super friendly. We were there for like 10 days. And um, and then lastly for me, like probably my favorite place, if I could go back anywhere like right now, it's short on the list, is, is Porto, Portugal. Incredible. Best bang for your buck in Europe for sure. Like if you're like, I want to go to Europe, want to save some money, Porto's awesome. Porto's better than Lisbon. I said it. Um, it's awesome. It's just, it's really cool. And we were there for a month. So I think that kind of changes things a little bit where you start to feel a little bit more integrated in the culture. Like we had a routine that we would get up and go have coffee at the local coffee shop and get some pastries. And, you know, we would each get like two pastries and each get a coffee and it would be like $3. Like, did you add all this? Did you forget something? (laughs) No. All right, cool. And like, there's no rush. So we would sit there for like a couple hours and just chat and, you know, again, it, you know, Ellie and I, and that's it. You know, it's just been her and I for a really long time and just chat and do some stuff and talk about random stuff and what we wanted to do. And yeah, so that's the top five. But other than that, yeah, we went all over, uh, some highlights. I'm a big fan of the Czech Republic. We went to Prague. That was my second time in Prague. Um, that's why we went. I also think it was Ellie trying to get a, a country up on me because she had never been to the Czech Republic before. Um, yeah, I went to Czech Republic on a solo trip in 2014. Oh, wow. I mean, these dates may be off. Don't quote me on these. Um, no quotes. Yeah. Just recordings. Right before I started Fidelity Investments, it was 2014, early 2014, like January 2014. Um, I went on a solo trip and went to Dublin, London, and Prague. It was actually supposed to be a trip to New Orleans, believe it or not. I was trying to get a group of friends to go to New Orleans, and I hadn't left the country since study abroad, and nobody wanted. I couldn't get anybody to commit to New Orleans. 
I said, if I can't get someone to go to New Orleans, I'm never going to get back to Europe. So I said, screw it. New Year's Eve, before we started drinking, bought a ticket to London. Let's go. And I went like two days later, quit my job, and went. I had like two weeks before I started at Fidelity and, yeah, went on a solo trip. That's said, awesome. Screw it. Yeah. So I was excited to go back. Elliot heard a lot of really good things about Prague, so we went to Prague. Um, we did like a little beer trip. We went to Germany. It was our first place back in Europe after we were going to Asia. And we were so excited because it was like fall weather, which was great. We were in Asia. It was super hot. We'd been in California where you don't get fall weather, really. Um, and we were just excited to have fall again. So in Germany, weather's starting to change. We're finally like pulling our jackets out. It's feeling nice. We just spent a couple of days in Germany. Drove down to Prague. We did like a couple of beer tours in Prague, which was really cool. Met a lot of cool people. Drank too much beer. Um, That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> beer's a little stronger, um, and the glasses are a little bigger. It's a little cheaper. <laughs> it's a little cheaper, yeah. Um, and then went back to Germany for Oktoberfest and spent a couple of days in, in Germany the, for Oktoberfest. The motherland of Oktoberfest. Yeah, the real Oktoberfest. I That was actually my second time. I went with... <laughs> second time. Yeah, 10 years apart, like literally 10 years apart. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm joking that every every 10 years I'm going to do it. So maybe, maybe when I'm 40, I go back again. Um, <clears throat> yeah, similar experience. Drank too much, too quick. Went to bed early and fell asleep with pizza in the hotel bedroom. <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's a fun time it's a really fun time you know that's what's a, like what's the what's the experience like what's the environment the atmosphere of oktoberfest in germany it's hard to describe it really is um very positive everyone's having a really good time there's lots of music um a lot of it is the drinking is obviously a big part of the culture for oktoberfest and the celebration but it's like a big fair. There's there's rides, there's games, there's souvenir tents, there's food. Um, even in the beer hall, there's tons of food. Pretzels. Shout out to Soft Pretzels. Uh, <laughs> big Soft Pretzel fan. Um, you can. There's a photo of me. I think it's it's one of my Facebook photos. I'm holding a Soft Pretzel up next to my head in a giant liter of beer. Um, that wasn't act it. at Oktoberfest, but that that's kind of the vibe. Um, yeah, it's just it very friendly, very diverse. You know, we had some Americans sitting next to us, um, but we had like, I think his name was Walter, this like eighty something year old German guy, like hanging out with like his granddaughters or something, and everybody's. It starts off a little mellow, and everybody's like excited. You can feel like the excitement, and you have to get there early because you have to get a seat to drink. You know, it's, it's not like a wild party. Like you have to be sitting, or they won't serve you. Um, so you get a seat, and it starts to fill in, and you can feel it. The band starts playing, a couple of drinks get in. Next thing you know, everybody's standing on the tables singing and dancing, <laughs> you know, chanting songs, and it's just it turns into a really, really good vibe. And at least for me, uh, you know, like two or three o'clock. Cause you get there, I don't know if I had to guess it starts at nine AM. So we get there. You wanna just in case there's a huge crowd, you wanna make sure you get a seat. So you get there early and a couple of liters at, you know, thirteen, fourteen percent alcohol, whatever it is. All before 10 a.m.? Oh, yeah, early, you know, and you're like, bring the pretzel, you know, and then you just do that a couple times, and it just, you feel it in your eyes first, and you're just <laughs> like, okay, things are starting to feel a little heavy. <laughs> it's <laughs> a marathon. Yeah. It's not a sprint. It is, it is. Each time I've done it, I've done it way too quick, uh, but it's it's a fun time. Um, the food's good. There's a lot of good street vendors around the, the fairgrounds, and it's a good time. Yeah, maybe, maybe in your 40s. 
the 40th yeah the third anniversary i you'll, would you'll take it as a marathon i would love to do it as like a big group trip i think it would be a really fun group trip and i i i really do think it would be a, a good vibe group trip because it i think especially if it's people you know if we think like our fraternity brothers who maybe we don't get to see as often as we should and we get together a few times a year doing a trip like that is you're catching up you're having a fun time you're already in yeah. a good mood you're traveling like yeah it's just a good vibe we're getting way away from like the hustle and bustle of work and like everything yeah. else at home yeah you're life. in a whole like, other world like yeah. and and even for me i've just i've done it twice i think that's the bucket list for a lot of people even yeah. like not from the hey i want to get shit faced and party vibe but just like hey this is a cool experience and i like alcohol and beer and that's fun in itself so yeah so we did that and every time i've done oktoberfest you know we do we try to ride the roller coaster of emotions and we do oktoberfest and then we do dachau concentration camp to you know offset the experience and it's uh it's a, a sombering experience to do that as well yeah i've i've heard that those experiences are very intense like with the concentration champ camps and like the museums the tours all that stuff like what is that like? Because not everyone gets to go over there for that either. Yeah, I've never been to. Um, there's the Holocaust Museum in D.C. I've heard that's very humbling experience as well. I've never been that. Um, it's hard to describe. Um, I know how I felt, and it's hard to describe that. It's just, I think, and, and at least for me, in school you hear about the Holocaust, and it's kind of spoken about in a here's the information kind of way yeah and it is humanized i think a little bit through education but when you see it you go oh shit this was like this happened like yeah. right here like and we've got like you know documentaries and tv shows yeah, and it's just, books you, and all that stuff but like seeing it is a different level yeah yeah and, and like yeah it's just it becomes so much more real of uh, this is a real thing um, not that I didn't believe I'm not a Holocaust denier, nothing crazy like that. Um, didn't think you were. No, just just yeah, to clarify, just out. to clarify. Let's get the uh, let's get the haters out of the yeah, comments. Yeah, um, it's just you know, especially I mean, you go to the gas chamber, you see the gas chamber, and like, you know, fuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's giving me chills talking about it. It's yeah. like I don't know how to describe it. I know how it made me feel, and it's mm. something I'm certainly glad that I experienced. And, you know, encourage a lot of people to, I think that's kind of a modern way of, of education too, is just, it, it's tough. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, this, this is a little political in my beliefs, but like, it's not about the statues, right? It's about right. preserving where these things happened Yeah, and being able to, you know, guide people on a learning experience to figure out, you know. This is like the closest to a firsthand experience that you'll ever get. Yeah, yeah, and seeing like photos of uh, you know people in the concentration camps and even after they are liberated and you know kind of the world that we live in and you know some of these people were exiled from their their home country and were liberated and then had to stay in the concentration camp because they had nowhere else to go and it's just like. It's still even being there. It's still hard just to wrap your head around of what that's all about. But that's one of the things about traveling is you get to experience those things and you get to yeah see a perspective that you haven't seen before. 
Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that I'm aware of that's even close to that here in America that you could go and see. Like, I mean, the closest I could relate to that is, like, you know, Ground Zero. Yeah, And, I sure. mean, we're sitting here yeah. on 9-11. Yeah, 20 years ago today. Yeah, I went to that museum, and I just, like, felt the same way. I got chills. There is no way to really describe being inside. Yeah. Yeah, so you feel that, that ride that we just took? That was, like, what it was in, in Germany where you go yeah. from. And I think a lot of my travels – I mean, when I studied abroad the first time I left the country, I was 20 years old in London, so I got a pass to start drinking sooner than I would have if I just stayed in the States. Right. So I was at an age where I feel I was young enough to have a really good time, um, <laughs> but old enough to enjoy the experience and appreciate what was in right. front of me. So there was a really, really good balance, and I guess depending on who you are, you can maybe agree or disagree, a really, really good balance of, hey, let's have a really good time and take advantage of this. But also, let's use this as an opportunity to learn and grow as people. Right. And I think I, I try to find that balance the best I can when I travel now, too. As I'm getting older, it's more of a different type of fun than the clubs and drinking. But um, it's still just kind of finding that balance. And, yeah, so I guess maybe that's a pretty good example. But, yeah, go to Oktoberfest. Go to Dachau. Ride that roller coaster. Yeah, that's that's, like, such an interesting take on traveling because, you know, like, it seems like the majority just like feel like, oh, let's look at what Google says. Let's look at what Yelp reviews look like. Or, but like you're on this like adventure. Let's not look at that. Let's go somewhere else. Like I was hating that experience. Like let's do something off the beaten path. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's a cool way to look at traveling. And that's something that I try to take in my travels. Um, you know, I don't want to do, I don't want to do everything that everyone else is doing, right? And I don't want to broadcast it out. Like I see a lot of people doing this on like YouTube and stuff. I don't want to like broadcast it out to others. And yeah, I can understand why you're doing that. Like that's great for you, but like here's the negative effects that I'm seeing. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but like we're you know, you're getting a lot more foot traffic in these places and we're not preserving them as much as we should for future generations, right? That was the biggest difference. So I traveled a handful of times before the big trip, but really it was, it was 2009 and then 2019 um, was study abroad and then the big trip. And the biggest difference, and Ellie commented on this as well, is there were a lot of people traveling as if it was a photo shoot. You know, mm -hmm. they were there to take Instagram photos and move on. Um, so that was frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, it was like, it's tricky, right? Like, my mission is to encourage travel. So I'm happy more people are traveling. I'm happy right. these Instagram posts are maybe getting people to be inspired to travel. For the same reason, like, I think there's a difference between going somewhere to take a photo and then bouncing yeah. and travel. Yeah. So that was a big thing that we, we noticed for sure. Um, and it's tricky. Specifically, Cambodia, uh, Angkor Wat, it's like the world's largest uh, religious monument. Someone fact check that. Oh, interesting. And if, if it's not the world's largest, it's one of the world's largest. Um, and it's awesome. And the thing is, like, get there early for the sunrise. It's supposed to be beautiful. Um, and then it's like this. You're in the jungle. 
So there's the main temple and the sunrise, and that's the photo, right? Mm-hmm. So we did that, and then you know we saw these people like it's the jungle, like women in heels and dresses that are like flowing and like just getting their photo. Dudes all dressed up too. Yeah, or like everyone's just like literally looking at it through their phone, and it's like it's 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 just right there. Like yeah. you can just look at it. You can Google it. And yeah, look it's at like it on your phone all you want. It's like right, but like you're actually right here. Yeah. to see it. Like, hey, right there. Um, so that was like a little frustrating as well. But yeah, then we go into the jungle and it's like, oh, like, where's the lady in the dress and the heels? Like, she's not back here climbing these temples with us, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just like people are missing, you know, you're barely scratching the surface. Right. So that was a little challenging. And that's definitely something that we noticed and, you know, have conflicting thoughts on because we want people to travel. We want people to feel inspired and travel. And I know. Instagram does that, but you know, have we crossed the line where it's it's more vanity than it is experience? Right, and that's that's like something you want to teach people yeah. to do, yeah. rather than just you know, yeah. don't go out for the Instagram post, <laughs> go out for the experience. Yeah, yeah. There's you know, there's something that happens in your gut when you travel that you know, likes on a social media post don't give you. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I was fortunate. I think a lot of that, I don't remember exactly the original question, but about just kind of having experiences. I think I was really fortunate that the first real travel experience I had was study abroad. I was there for four months. So I, you know, the best part about that is I got to feel like I was a part of, of the culture. I, you know, I did normal things. We went to the yeah. grocery store, you know, we had to take public transit just to get from place to place, not to go see a site. Um, and then when it started, we lived in, you know, quote unquote, the international dorm, which was just Americans. And it was good because right away, hey, we're not on our own. We've got people that we connect with. It's like, okay, like, let's go out together. And it was like, okay, we've been doing this for a week. We're going to the same Americanized bar. We're going to the place that has beer pong. And, you know, like, this doesn't feel very different other than right. we're in a different location. So we got, you know, like a rare. I don't know, chance encounter. I ended up meeting an Englishman that lived across the street, became really, really good friends. He kind of brought me in under his wing. and was like, let me show you about English culture. Um, so we hung out all the time and he showed me British comedies and all kinds of different stuff. He took me to different places I never would have been otherwise. I got to meet more and more of his friends and I was like kind of immersed in like, that is what I've been seeking rather than, and you don't get that from the sites. You get that from taking your time and right. digging in. Yeah. getting to know people, asking questions. And that's where, you know, my beliefs were challenged big time of you know, they were really good at saying, why is it like this in America? And I like to think that um, I could appreciate the fact that because it's America and that's how it is, wasn't a good enough answer. And <laughs> maybe I hadn't really thought some of these things through. I just had heard them and believed them. And, you know, it was the first time I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I, d- I don't know. I'm just regurgitating things that I've heard growing up, and I don't know what I'm talking about. So that was that was an eye-opening experience and you know, started to think for myself. And I think that's one of the cool things about travel, too, is that you get to, you're looking back at your world on a different lens, like literally from somewhere else, someone else's yeah. point of view. So that's kind of what has been a huge eye-opener for me. And that's where, you know, the first major change in my life is, is studying abroad in London. Okay. Yeah. So I want to ask you two different questions. First is once all of this stuff is kind of behind us in the world that we live in where we have to stay home, and et yeah. cetera, 
where is the next place that you and Ellie are gonna go? <laughs> um, international or local, or Both. domestic? Um, Both. It's a tough question. It's uh, it. I think we're very fortunate that we traveled when we did. We came back December 2019. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we're very very fortunate of the timing. And I think because of that, we didn't necessarily have the same itch that some other people did of, like, I want to go travel. We're like, we can take this time to decompress. Let's get back into a routine of normal life. So it's only been over the past few months where we're like, let's let's, let's start planning a trip. Um, so we've got too many ideas. And you think, like, if you go back to us planning this trip, like, we've got a year. Mm-hmm. We can totally go to everywhere we want to go. Not right. even close. Like we had to cross so many things off the list that like just barely missed it. So some of those are on the list going back to some places. We like to travel slow. Um, Scotland's come up a few times. We've been to Scotland independently, but you know, we love the idea of staying in a small town in Scotland and just spending a month there and kind of just trying to acclimate and be part of this little town for a month. Um, we want my birthday's in December, so we want to go somewhere for my birthday. Um, Michigan comes up a lot. I haven't been, spent a lot of time in Michigan. So. Ooh, Michigan's underrated. I Michigan, you know, this is, every time we travel, it's like here's a, kind of a list of a handful of places we want to go, mm-hmm. and one keep popping up. Michigan is one of those places that keeps popping up on the radar. Yeah, so. For me, it's like Michigan's in my backyard, and I'm yeah. like, I, just, I could just go there on a weekend. Yeah. I want to go some crazy place Yeah, far and away, thousands of miles. Ellie will, will yell at me for this, but – I can't remember the name. She just told me there's a small town in Michigan that she wants to go to that has like a cool Christmas, um, like a whole Christmas tradition in a small town. So we talked about doing that for my birthday and that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to get to a point where, um, my job as a financial advisor is, is to encourage people to live their dream life. And I've recently switched firms where I'm working with a smaller group of people. And I got to the point where, it feels silly for me to try to encourage travel and encourage people to live their dream lives. And I'm slaving away at 50 or 60 hours a week when that doesn't seem to make any sense to me. So I'm trying to get to a point. My goal is where, you know, I'll take anywhere from one to four months off a year to be traveling um, and just be around. So let me go back to the other question that I had. Um, You mentioned like, before while we were eating dinner that you have this like ricky (laughs) 1.0 and you have this ricky 2.0 yeah so like what what's this like give us the details on like ricky 1.0 like what's the (laughs) what is that and how are you now ricky 2.0 um yeah this is a long question to answer um so yeah i think this is good because we talked about how you know we're comfortable with the conversation we want the conversation to get a little bit deep so this is probably the deep part of the conversation um hmm. i don't know how to define ricky 1.0 <laughs> um rough around the edges maybe okay. the the safe way to say that um i think for me i've always been really competitive um i've always felt like i've had a chip on my shoulder that i had something to prove mm-hmm. and Growing up, you know, there's, you know, several moments growing up where I felt underestimated. Um, I, like I said, I was first person in my family to go to college. 
Um, my guidance counselor told me to consider other options because college wasn't for someone like me. Love that. Um, things like that happen throughout my life um, that really annoy me <laughs> and drive me. Um, and I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but at least I thought in order for me to get out of the environment that I grew up, you know, Youngstown's a economically depressed area. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with a single mother for a lot of my childhood. So financially that was challenging and it felt very much like you know, dog eat dog. You had to, to survive and it was you versus everybody, even the people closest to you. It was always a competition. So I think that forced that put up a lot of guards and made me be a lot more selfish than I'm proud to have been. Um, I think it took some of that, honestly, to get out of where I was and get to where I wanted to be. But I didn't take other people's feelings into consideration, especially people that were really close to me. Um, so that's probably a good summary. There's a lot more we can go into. Just a lot less mature. I liked attention. Um, humor is a good way to get attention. Drinking too much alcohol and doing things you're not supposed to do is a good way to get attention. Multiple ways to cope with whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you had going on when you were growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah, and you know, I think you know it probably all stems back to like my dad wasn't around. He bailed when I was a kid, so it was like. You know, what do I have to do to be worthy kind of yeah. deal? I think is where Are a lot of be the man of the house. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of that just kind of starts from like, you don't want to be a part of my life. Like, let me show you what you're missing. Like, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of that comes from there. And then just um, having a hard time admitting you're wrong. And honestly, I think it, a lot of this can come back to, I think the most important skill is communication and I, I know we've all heard that before, right? Communication is really important. But it's not even just being able to communicate and talking a lot, but being able to articulate how you're feeling and what's going on and like what you're trying to say. So I don't think I communicated very well, whether it was I wasn't giving enough context or I didn't couldn't articulate exactly what I meant, and that was really frustrating, and then that would cause arguments with people because I, I couldn't explain myself in a proper way. And I think a lot of people will deal with that, and they don't even realize it. Um, so that, and then just couple it with, you know, being young and alcohol and partying and, and those kind of things. Um, I'm fortunate that, you know, maybe I'm harder on my previous self than, than I should be at recently. People have told me that I wasn't as bad as I think I was, but, um, I'm fortunate. I still have a lot of really good friends in my lives. I just, I wish I would have treated people a little bit better during that time. And, it was more about preserving myself and me being right and me winning and everything's a competition. Even people I really cared about, whether it was how much money somebody was making or what they were doing, I looked at that as they have and I don't, or I'm going to beat them or whatever that was. So that's probably the psychoanalytical answer. Um, okay. Yeah. Just a little bit of an asshole. You know, <laughs> I, I said things I shouldn't have said. Um, I was mean to people. I, um, as a defense mechanism was just hard and mean to people and mm-hmm. treated people poorly. So yeah, that's, that's Ricky 1.0 probably funny. I think a lot more funny than I am now. <laughs> um, Trauma is a great mechanism. Yeah. For humor, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think overall a, a decent 
guy, but rough around the edges. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So what is what is how did that transformation happen of Ricky 1.0? You took a step back and you're like, I don't like the person I am. Yeah, it was really like, hard. How am I going to transform? Yeah, it it was very very difficult. Um, I think a reason a lot of people don't focus on self improvement is because it doesn't stop ever. I think if you start on the journey of self improvement, it goes forever. And two, it's fucking hard. Like it's just hard. So. Um, I can remember a few specific things that happened. Um, we were in California. It was just Ellie and I. Um, I've mentioned before, it's just that's hard on its own. Ellie's, Ellie's a really, really good person, like a really, really good person. And just as you're sharing who you are and what's important to you, who's important to you, what your upbringing was like, and comparison is not necessarily what I mean there, but you, it's easy to look back and go, oh, like – this thing happened to me or, you know, yeah, I can be cheap and frugal, but that's because we didn't have any money. And, you know, oh, you know, I was raised in an environment where you, when you couldn't communicate, you just yelled. Uh, <laughs> oh, that didn't happen in your house? Oh, like I thought that was normal. So you kind of start to see like, oh, like maybe things aren't as normal as I thought they were. And um, the job was stressful, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and have what kind of impact I wanted to have on people and was I proud of what I was doing um, and just wanting to be a better person for Ellie really is kind of what started it and just wanting to be the best pers- version of myself and then um, life just got hard and I think the biggest thing Ellie ever did is kind of two two things that are probably cousins of each other is she taught me compassion and I don't think she necessarily taught me empathy, but she taught me empathy wasn't a bad thing. And that's when things started to change. And when I started having California's first time in my life that I felt like things weren't okay with me and recognizing that in myself, I go, well, other people are having a hard time too. Like maybe you just need to be kinder to other people and like maybe don't make their lives so hard on other people and like that was challenging and, and I was still my grandfather had passed uh, several years before that and I'm fortunate I, had, I have a great stepdad who played a vital role in my life but my grandfather played father figure when there wasn't one so that was tough and I never dealt with that at all um, so kind of dealing with that um, worrying about my own mortality. I don't know just if that's what starts to happen when you turn 30, but that's kind of what was happening. And just feeling like I wasn't proud of the person that I was. Um, and I had success financially and, you know, in I think most regards, you know, I won awards and got trips and all these things from doing hard work. Um, and I felt pretty satisfied. I felt that I could look and say, I've got success at this point and not only do I feel satisfied with the success I have, but the other people that you're competing against, like we're not even playing the same game. Like right. our goals aren't, you know, who cares? Like if they're probably, my goal is completely different than their goal. So who cares what stage we're at? So that started changing things. And then I started feeling like genuinely happy when people would tell me things 
like what's going on in their lives, I remember I used to feel a little bit of envy through that. And then I just genuinely felt happy for people. I was like, that's great. Like I really started celebrating with my friends um, and just going, hey, life's hard enough. And whether you're ahead of me or behind me, nobody's fucking keeping score and who cares? And the scoreboard doesn't even exist. And we're playing different games and whatever. So none of that makes sense to me. And so that a big thing that started. So just having Ellie in my life was a big part of that turning point. Um, I started meditating in that time, which was invaluable. And specifically, uh, the one of the biggest turning points in my life is uh, I did guided meditation. And I'd started doing that. And that was a wake up call that I wasn't living in the present at all. I was either stressing about the person I was before, or, hey, what am I doing next? What is my life going to look like? And just realizing I'm spending zero time in the present. And yeah. like that was like eye opening. And then I did a medita- one of the early meditations I had was about compassion. And it was about being compassionate to yourself first and foremost. And several times throughout my life, people told me I'm hard on myself and I've never believed that. And one of the compassion, one of the, the tips they gave is said, be aware of your inner critic in the way you speak to yourself, your inner voice. And I said, okay, I'll pay attention to that. And then they said, you're, you're probably really hard on yourself. And what you should do in that situation is respond the way you would to someone who's very close to you in that same situation. Um, so a lot of times I used Ellie as how would I respond to Ellie if she was in this situation. And then so after probably that day, I think I meditated in the morning, that day made a mistake at work, not a big mistake at all. Um, I don't even remember what it was. That's how minor it was. Um, And I went on a walk. This is in California. I went on a walk. And I remember specifically, I said, like, thinking about what I did. And I said, oh, I did this instead of that like a fucking idiot. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) This is what they're talking about here. Okay. So, and it it took a while from being that harsh on myself. You can't just go, okay, like, everything's fine. You know, like. Um, I felt like, okay, let's progress this. So like, let's take fucking idiot out of that sentence. And I started using knucklehead, you know, like it was, <laughs> it still wasn't good. It's right. Softer. It's softer. Right. So I was like, oh, like, oh, you were being a knucklehead. And then it just slowly became like, like how uh, let's pretend Ellie comes to you in the same situation. What do you say? And that changed everything. Life changed completely after that. What's, what's that like meditation? Like I know of like breath meditation and like a couple other, but like, what's the, what's that guided meditation, that compassion? Like, like walk me through that. To me, it felt like a very inexpensive version of therapy. Um, I would, I use the calm app. Um, shout out to our sponsors, calm. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No sponsors. (laughs) No sponsors. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, no, I use calm. Um, Tamara Levitt is the, I think the CEO and she does a lot of the guided meditations and she's just very calm. She's very compassionate. You can feel it in her that she's a good person and she's trying to help. And, you know, usually what starts is like, she eases you into it and it's just about breathing and focusing on your breathing. And you spend probably 10 minutes of that. And then the last couple of minutes, she just kind of talks to you in a friendly manner and talks about whatever the topic of the day is. And yeah, it's just like, it started making sense to me. It's like, okay, like, yeah, maybe I do need to be nicer to the world. And you know, meditation specifically, like one of the cool things about meditation is, so our bodies get worked up 
and we go to fight or flight, right? Absolutely. We all know that. So what happens is our heart rate elevates, we start to sweat, you know, our our uh, pupils dilate, you know, we our senses start to heighten a bit. So of all of the things that our senses are, the only thing we control is our breath. Mm-hmm. So by breathing and focusing on your breath, you're telling your brain everything's fine mm-hmm. and it calms you down. So like that was cool. So like just starting with that, I'm like, oh, like that makes sense to me and just focusing on breathing and focusing on, hey, let's let's be in the now because you yeah. haven't spent a lot of time here and you know, starting to realize, hey, it's okay. Like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, if I could give advice to anybody out there is, is treat yourself, think of someone you care about deeply. And then when you have an issue, say, how would I treat this person in that same situation? And you end up being a lot nicer to yourself. And then once you're nice to yourself, you can be a lot nicer to everybody else. And that, <laughs> that makes life a lot easier too. That's true. That's true. Um, I recently in the past, like two months or so started, uh, this new meditation technique technique that I learned from, uh, Naval Ravikant. Okay. Uh, where I don't do it as long. He recommends an hour in the morning and I'm like, I'll do it for 20 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes is what I got. Um, where you just sit relaxed position, you don't focus on your breath and you just let your mind do whatever it wants and you just let it go. And it just like, he said that, you know, you work through all these things that like your mind is always fight or flight and it wants to resolve these issues that you've had, you know, yesterday, a week, a month, year, three years ago, whatever. And so like, once you can get through that, you get to like inbox zero and you feel so much more calm and you are able to think through things a little more. And I've like, I've started doing this in the morning, just like he recommends. And I do it for 20 minutes. And I, even at 20 minutes, I noticed a difference in my life, my emotions, my mental state, like meditation is powerful. And I think that's a actually fantastic topic that you brought up. And like, it's cool that that was one of the most powerful ways that you transitioned your life and to being a better person. Yeah, it's um, so I've I haven't intentionally done that, but that's ha- that happens a lot when you meditate. Yeah. Like a couple things are gonna happen. Either your mind's gonna water wander, and you're not gonna focus on your breath. No big deal. Like, and that's one of the cool things is like, Tamara will pop in and be like, "You may have wandered off." I'm like, "Oh yeah, she." <laughs> <laughs> um, and she does it like a really friendly way, like, "Oh, let's bring you back." Um, or you're gonna fall asleep, which is fine too. Um, or you're going to focus and it helped. And all of those are good. Like all that's fine. And you just take a few minutes, especially we live in this world where we're connected all the time. Like just take, I think this is why people like people have trouble sleeping and they have their best thoughts while they're in the shower. Like the two times you don't have a screen in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And like right before you go to sleep, right. you got your, you're scrolling. Yeah. And like we're on all the time and yeah. we're soaking up everything that we are reading. And it's like, Oh, scroll the finger what's next what's next what's the new thing right i've already processed that but actually you haven't right right we aren't programmed we didn't evolve to soak up all the world's information within you know however long you want to scroll on your phone for the day yeah i completely agree yeah it's um i recommend it to everybody i've actually been on a bit of a hiatus from meditating intentionally um, I had a very long streak. I think the first really long streak I did, I did over a year 
every day meditating. Um, and then I'm big on morning routine. I've been out of my morning routine because travel, it's hard as you're bouncing around from time zone to time zone is hard. And that's, an, I know that's an excuse, but it is hard. So I didn't, I got out of routine and then I came back and it was COVID and it was hard to get back in routine. And I was meditating just to keep the streak alive. So it was like, before I went to bed, I'm like, oh shit, I got to meditate. <laughs> and like, I would just put it on and like, wasn't really meditating. So I'm yeah. like, I'm going to take a pause and start fresh. And Doing this to check the box. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's essentially pointless. I think a lot of people don't like meditating because they, it's hard to get their mind to stop. And I think that's okay. Like, even if your mind runs the whole time, just sitting for 10 minutes is, is great. Yeah. And I think like advice, if you can sit there and just do what I spoke about is just let your mind go. Yeah. And if you can sit there 10 minutes, great. 20 minutes, better. 30 minutes, even better. Right. Like try to get your mind to not wander as much yeah. and you can, you can just focus again. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point too, to go back to the technology that we live in a world where we're processing a lot of information at once. And as we're trying to think ourselves, we've got a lot of information that we're not organizing and getting in a concise thought stream. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think they're just getting away from your phone, closing your eyes, whether you, you know, some people have do transcendental meditation and they have this out of body experience some people just let their brain wander for 10 or 20 minutes. Like both of those are like anywhere in between those spectrums are good too. Yeah. We, we go from what our, our work screen to our scrolling screen. Yeah. And then we go after those, we go sit on our couch to our after work screen. Right. And also still look at the scrolling screen. Right. right? Like we're so connected to technology today and it's just, we need to relax. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a funny thing to think about is that technology, I think, is a net positive, but we have to remember that, like, it hasn't been around, like, we haven't had this, it fits so well that we mm -hmm. forget that it's still really new, and we don't know some of the long-term effects. I think net positive, for sure, but, you know, there's some some growing pains, for sure. Yeah, the, the iPhone, Facebook, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, like, all that stuff has just been around for less than 20 years and we're still trying to figure it out, and we're seeing a lot more negative side effects than we are positive, I think, with with people, really. I mean, technology is growing substantially with, like, every other aspect, with, like, butt connections and getting yourself in, like, a mindful state and feeling better about yourself and not being so stressed out. It's That's where we're seeing a lot of negative effects. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, meditate. Try it. Give it a go. I, I was really worried because I'm like, okay, I'm out in California now. I'm going to meditate. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm the hippie dippy vibe. Yeah, here yeah. we go. Um, but no, definitely life-changing experience. Yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. Like, it was really just Ellie and meditating that transformed you from 1.0 to 2.0. Yeah. Yeah, and I every time I think about that, too, is I mention that to a friend and he said, and I'm sure she didn't make you change. She never asked me to change. She never said, hey, this is, you know, you're, this is wrong. You're not doing this mm -hmm. right. Um, n never expected me. Um, I think if I had to guess, she's surprised length. I've changed my friends. Uh, my, the people closest to me affectionately call me 2.0. Um, <laughs> make some jokes about it. It's a lot of fun. Um, 
but that makes me feel good. I think, and the reason I landed on 2.0, I guess that's an important part too, is self-improvement is very hard just to do. The hardest part that I struggled with was loss of identity because I was becoming a different person. Mm-hmm. Um, and although there was a lot of good things happening there and I was becoming a better person, I was worried about what I was losing as well. There were parts of me that I did really, really like. Um, and I was worried that I didn't want to completely start over. Um, oddly enough, too, and I don't know how much this plays into a role, is at work I go by Richard, um, partially as a, as a baby face in the finance industry. You need a little bit of credibility. <laughs> Richard sounds better than Ricky. Um, and in California, it was just Ellie and I, and for, for the most part, everyone referred to me as Richard. So I felt like there was starting to be a disconnect from the person I used to be and mm-hmm. the person I was becoming. And I didn't want those to be completely separate. So um, I thought of the idea of, of an upgrade. So still the same person, just fix the bugs, become <laughs> better. I think I'm probably on 3 or 4.0 at this point, but 2.0 has got a good ring to it. You know, it's some of my usernames, so I stick with it. There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I think when you can be honest and vulnerable with someone you really, really care about and you want to be a better person for them, and a lot of it came down to being a better person to myself and worrying about mortality. My biological father, who I don't have a relationship with, had some health concerns that I thought um, he was going to pass away um, in age 50-ish, early 50s, and... I go, shit, <laughs> that's not that's not that far for me. Um, I don't know that I've taken care of myself the best way I should. And, and you start to, when you have someone that you really care about, go, well, how is this going to impact Ellie? Like, what does this do to Ellie's life? Um, also, I don't want to die. <laughs> so starting to think about all of those things and a bigger picture and, you know, people, I don't want to say relying on you because um, Ellie's a strong, independent woman. But, yeah, that's that's definitely the triggers. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask you a question. I completely forgot what it was. But um, so you've, with this like transformation of 1.0, 2.0, you said that you weren't in like a great spot with work. Like it seemed like, from my understanding, you felt like just kind of like a cog in a machine making a nice paycheck and you weren't happy. But now you are at a different company after two other or one other company and you are enjoying it way more yes yeah um yeah and i i gotta be a little bit careful because i i can be a little bit cynical in general um that's a 1.0 trait carried over um and specifically the financial planning industry i can be cynical i think fidelity is a great company um but yeah i think a lot of it was autonomy a lot of it is wanting to help people who are like me um, and not necessarily come from the same background as me, but just young people. I, I saw an entire generation of people raise their hand saying, I want help. And our industry was saying, call us when your student loans are paid off. Call us in 10 years when you got more money. And that just drove me crazy. I'm like, I like working with these people. I relate to these people. I know the problems that they're having. You meet with somebody and you say, hey, I got student loan debt. I don't know what to do. And it's the gray-haired financial advisor. They will mm-hmm. say... I worked my way through college, so I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, so not only have, have I had the burden of student loan debt, I also know the, the relief that you get when you pay those student loans off. feels great. Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you from a mathematical standpoint, in some situations it makes more sense 
to invest than to pay off student loans. But for some people, that weight of not having that student loan is way more valuable than any rate of return you can get in the stock market. So having those conversations with people in relating to someone is super rewarding for me, but I think it's really valuable for the clients. So yeah, I'm, I'm in a situation now where I get to feel like I'm helping people who are like me. I, when I move to the other firm, I'm going to remain nameless for the time being. Absolutely. Um, you can look it up on my U4 broker check. Um, it was, I knew there was going to be a situation where they wanted me to grow more than I wanted to. Uh, I had a really, really good year. I focused on helping people, doing the right thing, listening to people. I think that is just that alone makes you a much better advisor than average of I'm not asking questions so I can sell you something. I'm asking questions so I can understand who you are so I can give you good financial advice. Um, had a lot of success with it. It was great. I was working with the young people. It was a lot of fun. Someone left. They said, here's a branch. Here's a bunch of money. Here's 200 more clients. Also, we want you to bring on 50 more clients this year, 50 more clients next year until you're dead. And I said, that does not sound like fun to me. And from the start, it was when we left, I said, whatever I do next, passion over paycheck. I refound my passion for this industry. It was excited to get back in the industry. I felt energized. Um, but it was never about money. I just need to make a living. I just need to pay the bills. So again, why am I doing more work than I need to, work that I'm not proud of for money that I don't need? Didn't make any sense to me. Um, so yeah, I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to take a year. I'm going to save up some money, build a business plan, or start my own firm. That was the plan. And I started networking. Uh, this is what's great about social media. Uh, there was a guy, um, Thomas Kopelman. He was, he's a young guy. He's working with millennials. He lived in my neighborhood. And I'm like, I want to talk to this guy because he's doing really good work really early in his career. And he had a post that said, like, whoever my 300th subscriber is, I'll buy you coffee signed up right away. Uh, I ended up being like 302 or something like that. Sent him a message. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm a financial advisor. I'd love to just pick your brain. And he's like, oh, you're 302, but I'll get you a coffee anyway. So we met. Oh, uh, that's nice of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we met and I just told him my story and I said, Hey, here's who I am. I'd love to get to know you and what you're doing. I said, here's what I'm frustrated with. Here's what's I'm struggling with. And it, it's really challenging for me and I don't feel satisfied. And he said, you got to meet Isaiah. I said, okay, cool. Um, he put me in touch with Isaiah. I told the same thing. I said, here's my story. Like, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm frustrated with. And after the conversation, like, as we were having the conversation, like, Isaiah leaned forward and, like, sat up. And I'm like, okay, okay, what's going on? He was like, this is perfect. We're actually looking to expand. We're looking to hire somebody. You'd be a perfect fit. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I'm like, well, if this is going to happen, I don't want to keep moving firms. Um, I know there's people who probably want to continue working with me, and I don't want to – it's not a fun process for them either. So I don't want to take them through this. So I grilled them. I said, what, here's what, I, you know, what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I think the industry is going and what I want to do. And everything lined up. And like literally the way they run their business is almost exactly the way I was writing up my business plan. I said, okay, so I can just focus on talking to clients and not have the risk and stress of running my own firm. Yes, let's do that. Um, it snowballed very, very quickly before I knew it. I'm like, okay, I'm moving. Um, and it, I've been there only probably not even a month and a half now. And it's yep. just been a great fit. It's one of those things, the values are aligned. So now I went from having 200 plus clients to needing to bring on 50 more every year to I'm going to have you know no more than 75 clients. 
I'm going to get to help young people who want to focus on travel. And because I don't need a lot of money in, you know, to pay my bills that I'm going to get more free time myself and get to do these things. I'm trying to encourage other people to do is, you know, big push at it's been Sear wealth management. If anybody wants to look it up, um, is work optional is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, I think what we think about young people think about a retirement, I think is very, very different. You know, I, I used to say, you know, what do you want to do in retirement? And they would tell me a story and it wasn't, let's go sit on a beach or, you know, just stop working and go live in a cabin. It was, I don't want to work this job. I hate, I want to do this work that I'm really passionate about. So we're trying to, how do we get you there sooner to do the work you want? It's not retirement is not, I'm 65 and I collect my pension that don't exist anymore. Um, it's how do we get you to live your dream life? I think a financial advisor's job is to make sure we align the things that you're saying are most important to you with your capital. And when I say capital, I mean time, energy, and money. So let's help you live your dream life as quick as possible. And that's so much better when I get to do that, when I get to help somebody buy a house that they want to buy. And I know it's important to them to have the extra bedroom because they got family that comes from out of town or, um, Hey, it's really important that this person move to this place. And it's important because of this, or we're going to make a decision based on feelings rather than numbers here, because I know their backstory and I get to know these people and like, how cool is that for a job? That's awesome. I get, that I'm, sounds fantastic. Yeah. I get to help people. All I do is, is help people live their dream lives. I just help move the money in the way it's supposed to go to protect that. That's so cool. That's, that's like, I think one of the coolest things that's like happening right in front of my eyes that like, you know, I see all the time millennials have the most debt. They're the poorest. They're never going to own a house, et cetera, et cetera. Like you see all the, all the articles from Bloomberg, CNBC, Business Insider, all, all the, all the places. And I think that's so cool that you're out there trying to combat that one you know, younger people to be able to live their lives and live their dream life, their rich life, yeah. how, how they want to live. Yeah. And, you know, we're not relying on this false hope of a pension. Right. And, uh, as of what, I think a week last week or a week ago, it was like, Oh, social security. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's not happening anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, my belief, without getting into too much financial stuff is social security will be there, but it will be different. Different means probably less. I don't believe that as that is. <laughs> I don't believe that. Well, I have a darker outlook. We'll the good news is this will be forever time stamped on, on the internet. We can talk about it when you're yeah, 62. You can, you can 65. tell me I'm wrong in 50 years. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I hope, I hope I'm right. Um, but I'm, you know, changes have to be made for sure. And that usually means, we're going to be impacted. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I, it's also one of those things that when we do financial planning, there's a lot of assumptions. Like we don't know, you know, we have our thoughts and opinions and we do our best. You know, we call them assumptions, just a fancy word for guesses, but you know, we, we do our best and it's just, it's such a fun job to get to help people and do it the right way. And you know, I used to feel like it's like, how do we make money? We sell, doing a poor job, we wrap it in that we're helping people. This is, let's help people and make a living doing it. And it's just so much more fun that way. 
Yeah. With uh, without getting like too crazy about like the financial stuff and like <laughs> what's in the what's in the headlines, I do want to get controversial. Uh oh. Real quick, on uh, nice figure out there in the financial space is Dave Ramsey, and Uh-oh. I'm not big enough to understand Uh-oh. if anyone of his fans is going to come and attack <laughs> me. But I'm just curious on like another financial advisor's ideas on what he says because he is the probably the biggest right right next to robert kiyosaki like Mm -hmm. they're the two biggest and i'm just curious i i have this conversation with a lot of people and it's very mixed i want to hear what you have to say it's definitely he is definitely a love him or hate him kind of personality absolutely i would start by saying he's helped a lot of people get out of debt Absolutely. And I think that's important. And his debt payoff strategy, um, the debt snowball, is a really good strategy. It's one of those things where on paper it's not the route that makes sense, but he's factoring in behavior and emotions and those types yeah. of things. And I think all of that is important when it comes to personal finance. Um, personal I just want to say real quick, I use that to pay off my student loans. Yeah. yeah, I I used his strategy. It worked. It's fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, no, continue. I I used to be very strict about here's the numbers. Um, there's a really good, you know the mortgage payoff is a good example of that. Should you pay off your mortgage or should you invest the money? I can show you all the charts in the world that say you should invest that money instead of pay off your debt, especially now mm-hmm. in a low interest rate environment. But uh, there's a really good quote from Carl Richards, who says. Um, I've been to a mortgage payoff party. I've never been to an efficiently invested portfolio party. So um, there's a lot of emotions behind these decisions. So with that said, I think Dave Ramsey has helped a lot of people. I think he is not my favorite person, especially in the personal finance world. I think he's he shames a lot of people for having debt. I think he says all debt's bad. A lot of that is he had his own personal problems. He, he uh, If I'm remembering correctly... Um, lost a house because of, of debt, so he thinks all debt is bad. I don't agree with that. Um, I also don't agree that making people feel bad for having debt or decisions that they made in the past, whether it's credit card debt or mortgages or student loan debt, is a helpful way to go. I think he can. he's very strict in his rules. I think they're outdated, um, and I also just don't think he's a very good person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he definitely capitalizes on people. Yeah. I, I mean, he's working the system. I don't know if I love it. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, write a book. Fine. <laughs> I'll buy it. I think, you know, as much as I or us, we want to criticize anybody, I think to have that level of success, you have to work very hard and you have to be very smart. So, right. you know, he deserves some kudos to that. I just would, I think telling people that they're bad for having debt is, is not the way to go. And there's also things we disagree with just from – if we want to get into the minutia of, of financial planning, you know, his assumptions of what the market's going to return is unrealistic. Um, you know, his idea of what an appropriate emergency fund I think is unrealistic and, you know, just some other priorities when it comes to investing, I don't agree with, but I think you're going to see some of that across just financial planning in general is there's kind of different philosophies and thoughts, but yeah, I think you can say what you're trying to say and help people and not do it in such a mean way. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's hey, some some people need to hear it that way, though. Yeah, 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 and that's and that's fair too. But 
I've had success with just being a little softer with people and <laughs> being a little kinder. A little more compassion. A little say. more compassion, yeah. 2.0 style. Um, maybe so we'll get Dave Ramsey. Maybe he'll listen and we'll get Dave Ramsey 2.0. And <laughs> Shout out Dave Ramsey if you're listening. <laughs> love it. Um, so I, I'm curious on like what – what financial book would you recommend Ooh. the millennial read? Yeah, really good, really good question. I feel like you've probably read quite a few. I've read a lot of financial books. Um, do I have to limit to one, or can I give a, a couple? Yeah, give it a couple. Kay. Why not? So I'm not going to necessarily recommend this, but the first financial planning book that I personal finance book I read was The Millionaire Next Door. Um, and that changed my thought on a lot of things that talks about, you know, kind of the average person, the average American millionaire is not this person flying around in private jets kind of deal. You know, they drive used cars and they live in modest homes and those types of things. So that kind of changed my view on what wealth looks like. I think, um, trying to remember whose book it was in is psychology of money. That's a really good one. Uh, Morgan Housel. Definitely read that. Um, he talks about you know, wealth is the stuff you don't see. If someone's driving a hundred thousand dollar car, all you know is they don't have a hundred thousand dollars anymore. Um, so you know, wealth is the hard stuff behind the scenes. So those are our two good ones. One of my favorite books, and this is where kind of started my shift in thinking came from, is it's called Happy Money, and it's about making the best bang for your buck from a happiness standpoint rather than a financial standpoint so there's things in there like um whether you've got an expensive sports car or you know a honda civic you're both equally unhappy in traffic (laughs) you're not you're not happier with an expensive car in heated seats in traffic um you are more likely to be happier in a smaller house closer to work then you are a bigger house further away from work. A bunch of things like that of from what's the happiness index here mm-hmm. with money and how do we use money in a way to make us happier? Um, you know, there's money can't buy happiness, all those things that, you know, I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but um, that's an interesting take on it. Um, although I, uh, you know, ignore the chapters uh, in I Will Teach You to Be Rich about how much Ramit hates financial advisors, um, <laughs> that is – his conscious spending plan is really good. I will teach you to be rich is the name of the book. Ramit Sethi. Um, he has this whole thing, living the rich life, like you mentioned before. And and his whole philosophy is find out what's important to you. And this is what I try to do in financial planning is what's really important to you and make sure you're spending money there. His thought is to, instead of these normal budget strategies of stop spending everywhere, you know, don't buy coffee because you'll be poor. Um, this is what's really important to you spend as much as you reasonably can there and be conscious about that and spend as little as possible on the things that you don't care about his conscious spending strategy is actually one that i use myself so i am a fan of ramit i just wish he hated financial advisory a little bit less that's fair that's (laughs) fair what uh what do you take like what advice of his do you take in your life that you spend reasonable amounts on for your own happiness but what is it that you hate spending money on oh that's a good one um the conscious spending plan is is important guilt-free spending we have a guilt-free spending category uh we actually just ellie and i just revisited some of our spending plans 
and we are taking one bucket of money that we have that's invested and we're just calling it the experience fund no questions asked whether it's travel concerts musicals sporting events there's money in the account take it spend it and that means even maybe we want to buy nicer seats or sit inside or you know pay for business class as long as money's in the account we'll do it if the money's not there obviously we got to take a break and build it back up um, you know, we can't go on an expensive trip because there, there's no money there, but we are comfortable. It used to be, we used to call it the opportunity fund. We used to call it the travel fund and we're just trying to lump in. I think it's easy to say travel and relate that to going to Europe, but I think going to a sporting event in your hometown is, is travel. So just calling it experience and looping that together. So that's what we like to spend money on. Um, I'm, debating about getting a new car. I don't love spending money on car clothes. Recently bought some new clothes. I buy clothes like every like five years. <laughs> um, I don't really like spending money on clothes. That's it. I like to spend money on convenience. So we haven't recently, but we used to have someone come clean the house from time to time. Like stuff like that is nice. You just make our life a little bit easier. Ellie runs a business. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, so she's very, very busy and, you know, unfortunately I still, um, we live in a society where the women do a lot of the, you know, house work, um, and don't get enough credit for it. So we try to do things that can alleviate some of the pressure on how much she does. I think men, specifically me, I'm comfortable living in a lower standard of <laughs> the quality of life than she is. So that's maybe part of it, but. Um, we're just trying to lighten the load for her where we can as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did that answer the question? That was long-winded. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I I relate to that wholeheartedly. I hate spending money on on a car, and I I love spending money on experiences. Oh my God, I just dropped so much money in the past I don't know three weeks on experiences, mainly concerts. Nice traveling. Yeah, I. I agree with that. It's awesome. Um, yeah, really quick. I guess not really quick, but I wanted to loop back to um, more of, I guess, a negative space where you were talking about like not having a dad growing up. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Because I feel like it's it could be like 50-50. Most people, you know, have a normal, normal life of growing up with two figures mm -hmm as parents, but you didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is something that the older I get, the more I realize it was a bigger deal than I let it be. Um, when I was a kid, I just brushed it off and said, I'll show him. Um, I think, um, so Tony Robbins, I know Tony Robbins is polarizing as well, but just like Dave. Yeah. Um, Tony Robbins had a, difficult relationship with his mother growing up and he has a quote that is something to the effect of if I had the mother I wanted as a kid I wouldn't be the man I'm proud to be today that's exactly how I feel if I had the father I wanted growing up I wouldn't be the man I'm proud to be today um, if anything controversy um, I'm better off not having him in my life he's not a great role model he's not a good person I feel confident saying this because there's no way he'll listen to this far and 
um, yeah, he knows he, that he's even that he's aware that you're even doing this. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, I haven't had a constructive conversation with my father since I was probably 18. Um, so okay, so you kind of knew him. No. Um, so yeah, so he tried to come back in my life, and that lasted for like about a week. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it it was a challenge, but I'm I'm very fortunate because one, I I think I have better role models. My stepdad, Matt, is great, awesome guy. Um, very very fortunate to have him. My grandfather ended up being a very big role model for me. Um, and then most importantly is I got to see and respect strong independent women because my mother was incredible and saw the power of hard work and going from being a single mother raising two kids that were little hell raisers um, and just working really really hard to get us in a better situation um, you know I'm grateful for those things in it so um, still challenging still tough um, you know I, I think there's a primal part of it of you know hey this is the one person who's supposed to protect you and you just kind of bailed um, it's challenging I still have you know, there's anxieties that come from wanting to, like, uh, being on time is a big deal to me. Um, I show up places 15 minutes early. I don't like being late. And a lot of that is because, you know, this is supposed to be the weekend that I'm spending with my father. And I'm sitting at the door waiting and he doesn't come. And I know what that feels like to have that fear that the person's not showing up. So I don't do that to anybody. So things like that, um, for better or worse, still come up, still creep up. Um, and I think a lot of this didn't come out until I was in California, and Ellie and I were talking about our childhoods. And I was like, I don't really know my dad. I don't know him well enough to really tell you anything about him. Like I know stories. I know I got a handful of memories, but that's about it. Wow. That's, that's wild. And so, like, you just – kind of dealt with it and more like just repressed it for years and you didn't really think about it and then like when you lived in california you're like just talking to ellie and getting it all off your chest and like actually processing it yeah yeah um that was part of it it was also when he was in the hospital i was put in a position where I was told, and I've heard this a handful of times, is a manipulation move that he wasn't going to make it. Um, that there was a possibility that he wasn't, you know, it was a low chance of success. So I said, What do I do here if I'm trying to be a better person and compassion? If I was in the hospital and I was potentially not going to survive a surgery in the morning, I would want to resolve things with myself. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, how – and this is where – this is like the catalyst of, of a lot of this is this was like the first real challenge. Like, okay, if you're going to be a better person and you're going to be compassionate and kind to people, do you forgive the one person on the planet that you despise or do you just let it go? And then it also felt a little bit unfair to me that he does pass away. Now this is all me that I right. never resolved this. Um, so I said, I was conflicted. I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. So ultimately I said, I'll extend the olive branch. And I said, if he reaches out, I'll, 
accept, you know, if he reaches out and says, sorry, I accept his apology, move on, um, you know, kind of absolve him of it. Um, he never reached out. And then, so I just sent him a text. I said, Hey, just let me know. I'm thinking about you. And he said, thank you. And that was the end of the conversation. And she just said, I, I don't know how to do much more than this. So I've, and, you know, since then I've gotten to the point where, you know, I, I forgive him. I don't know that I need to have a relationship with him and, um, you know, it's just time to move on from it. And, you know, I, I it's, you have to think too. I mean, he was 22, 23 when he had me and I'm the second child. Um, you know, I think about who I was at 22, 23, Rick 1.0, how well I would handle a situation like that. Um, you know, if, if I would be the best role model at that point, um, I would like to think that that responsibility would force me to grow up quickly, but, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is it quickly became and, and honestly the the biggest casualty in all of this is my brother. My brother's a year older than me and that year difference in a divorce was a substantial. Um I looked at it as he so my father, without getting into some of the details, was unfaithful, treated my mom poorly, and I saw the pain that my mom was caused. That's some of the memories I have, and they're still not super clear. But I said, fuck this guy. And it's us us against him. And yeah. unfortunately, my brother still wanted, not unfortunately, um, my brother wanted to continue a relationship with my father, which made the relationship with my stepdad difficult. And unfortunately, I think I saw Donald, my brother, as a – he was on the wrong side. He picked the wrong team, and it was us against them, and I treated him poorly because of that. And at the end of the day, he gets treated poorly because he wanted to have a relationship with his father, and that's not very fair. Um, so that's the biggest challenge, I think, is my relationship with my brother. It was challenging dealing with the relationship with my father, but I've, I've gotten to the point where – I'm happy with the person I am. I think I'm a better person because of what I've gone through with him and just continue to try to be a good person. And part of being a good person is forgiving people and moving on. And, you know, I think a lot of those issues and some of the negative aspects of who I am as a person and who I was as a person is because I was holding on to something that, you know, I'm trying to prove, you know, I also felt with some of the success I've had that, you know, I've proven wrong at this point. So, um, you know, what am I still, you know, let's start doing stuff for me. And so it's been a long road. My brother and I are working on repairing our relationship, but that's tough. Um, and I do feel bad for him that, like I said, he was just wanted to have a relationship with his father. And unfortunately he was treated poorly along the way too. So, yeah. And Richard 2.0, you probably would have <laughs> treated him a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what you know now. Yeah. If you were, if you could go back in time. Absolutely. So now the relationship is being repaired and you guys are hanging out, talking, Zoom calls. What, what's up? Talking more. Um, I'm, we have a family of stubborn people. So it's, you know, it's, it's a long road, I think, mm -hmm. to, to rebuild that. Um, but yeah, we spend a lot more time talking and just kind of getting to know each other again and trying to um, hang out more. And, um, 
they actually visited me recently in Indianapolis, my whole family. Um, and he came, him and his family, which he's got a family of his own, which is really exciting. Um, but also just being back in the Midwest and being able to see friends and family more, he's going to be a beneficiary of that, I think. So we're trying. It's, yeah. it's a long road. That's awesome. So did you guys still like grow up in the same household as, you know, brothers and, you know, up until the point, I guess you went off to college, was there still like that relationship there, but it just wasn't, you know, as strong as your stereotypical sibling relationship? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think it was just, I had a lot of anger and I didn't know that I had a lot of anger and I didn't have anywhere constructive to point it and a lot of time I got pointed at him so that obviously impacted the relationship yeah I hope I hope things go well repairing the relationship it seems like it is so far it's getting better it's getting yeah. better that's awesome would um, this might be a tough question <laughs> would you say opposed that to the one about my childhood trauma I, I was gonna <laughs> say like is that probably like toughest trauma that you've been through is there something else that you've been through that you'd say that was probably more impactful in a negative manner um fortunately yeah i think that's the yeah yeah it's taken a long time to to get over that and i'm fortunate that it's easy to be blinded by the fact that there's one person who's supposed to be very important in your life that doesn't seem to give a damn about you um but I'm surrounded by friends and family who, you know, have been very, very close to me, been very, very good to me. So ultimately, you got to get to the point where you can't let this, this shadow be in the way of all the good. So, yeah, it's definitely been a challenge to it takes a lot of honesty. You got to be really, really honest with yourself. And that's really hard to do. Um, that's part of just personal growth. So it's, it's difficult to sit back and say, you know, what is my responsibility? What can I be doing differently? How can I not let this impact me anymore? So, yeah, I would probably say so. It's still a challenge. Still, you know, there's still certain things that I realize. I'm like, okay, this is, I know where this is coming from. And, yeah. you know, let's try to change it the best we can. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's cool that you have, like, the perspective on it. You've really taken the time to think about it and really, you know, understood the situation. Yeah. Um, is there is there a time like when you were meditating that this came up that you had to like process and like kind of took you back that your mind just kind of went there? Um, there's a time I smoke a pot. Um, in California, where it was legal. Um, yeah, there was a couple times where I just had real clear thoughts and, and specifically my brother of like, wow, I've treated him very poorly for all the wrong reasons, um, kind of came to mind. And then yes, it more so when my father was in the hospital cause I was forced to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey, potentially I only got a day to come up with an answer to this and how do I really feel about it? And now do I want to manage my, that was, that was really hard, um, to deal with. I, I actually like, I took the day off of work because I couldn't deal with it. And Ellie was working. She was actually on a call. And I was sitting on the couch and I just started crying. I couldn't help it. And she like hung up. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. Um, and it was because I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know. And like, 
here's I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I would tell somebody to do, but like there's like literally the one person in the world that I do not like. And you know, how do I and I you know, I'm on a journey to be a better person. Right. It, it was the first or maybe the biggest real test of, hey, this is all the stuff you've been working on. Are are you really that person or not? Wow. I think that's powerful. Um, I, I know that like travel and is like something very important to you, Ellie, obviously, uh, your job, you love it, but what's like the, is that like the trifecta of ultimate happiness for you? Is there something else that you would just say that this is what makes me ultimately happy? Yeah, I think that's the question, right? I mean, aren't we all trying to figure that out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I – when we went on the trip, I said, what am I going to do um, from a work standpoint? And I just – I I don't think the people who know me closely are surprised that I missed work and wanted to get back to work sooner than I expected. Um, but that kind of came as a surprise to me a bit, and I just thought about – purpose and what I want to do and what kind of impact I would want to have and what kind of life I wanted to live. And it was travel was always the answer was travel. Um, but it felt a little selfish, honestly, of like, I can do good, whether it's, Hey, I've got this potential that where I come from, you know, we don't make a lot of money that, Hey, maybe I need to just suck it up and do the work and give that money back and, you know, help, people that way um but then you know i also felt well maybe that's too <laughs> too selfless i gotta think about me too in that um so i'm like i'm gonna be a travel agent um and i'm like what other interests do i have real estate's all i'm interested and then i just realized that i've always just wanted to encourage travel i think that's the biggest impact you know a, a huge impact that you can have on your life is by traveling so i've always wanted to encourage travel it's always been my mission encourage travel so i said i'll be a travel agent so I would be the worst travel agent in the world because like, I'm like, we want to book this trip. Like, what's the emergency fund look like? Are you saving for retirement? And I'm mm -hmm. gonna be like, you know what? Do these things. We'll talk next year. I'm gonna get fired because same with same with real estate. Like, can you really afford this house? Is this the best house for you? I'm incentivized to sell you a bigger house. Let's find you a house that actually makes the most sense for you. And I'm like, no, I want to be a financial advisor. I just want to do all these other things as well. Um, so being able to help people buy houses and travel and do the things that are important to them, it's just, it's, I want to give back and help people. And I do this job because it's where interest and knowledge cross for me. Um, if I was really good and knew a lot about something else and can help people doing that, I would do that. But this is where I can have the biggest impact. So now if I can find that mix of, I have some freedom myself, which is what we're working towards now, that I'll get some freedom to live the life I want to live and also help people live the life they want to live and you know, be that trusted advisor in their life. That's that's happiness to me, getting to help people and getting to live my life and 
you know, provide the opportunity that Ellie gets to have her own business, you know, because of wise financial decisions we've made up to this point. And I get to do my job that I really, really enjoy and help people. And because of that job, it takes the pressure off of her and her business. And she gets to experiment and focus on having fun and living the life she wants to live. That's awesome. Um, so with, with all that said, would you say that in Rumi's eyes, you're living a rich life? I'm living a very rich life. I'm very fortunate. Um, I, yeah, I'm fortunate. I've made some wise decisions, had some luck along the way and had a lot of support. I think that's it. I mean, good network of people, hard work, some luck. That's the recipe. That's awesome. Um, now I, I, I've made my own guesses here, but I want to ask the question of, um, if you are a, a religious person, I am not a religious person. Um, I respect religions and mm-hmm. the benefit of them. Um, Ellie's a religious person and we talk about religion a lot. Um, I was actually listening to podcast today with someone who said that they're an atheist and if there is a God that they would think that they would want them to be honest with themselves and they can't honestly say that they believe in a God. So if there is a God and they go, well, you weren't a blind follower, you lived a good life, it's good enough, welcome to heaven, um, do you want to punch the ticket? Um, and that's kind of how I feel is whether you believe in a God or not, having a good life is what's important and being kind to people and helping people. So I think there's a lot of overlap, whether I believe in a higher being or not. If I was, I would definitely relate more to Buddhism than anything. I think that's very fascinating stuff. Love the Dalai Lama. Shout out to your holiness. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, I don't, I just never, I also didn't grow up with a lot of religious teachings. So it's, it's not an area that I feel overly knowledgeable in either it's just something that i haven't personally believed in okay yeah is there like a reason that you like it it doesn't sound like you're like shunning religion or anything you just like "Eh, it's not for me i've learned about it i've you know learned the teachings and it just doesn't seem like my thing is that i guess correct yeah i think I think I don't know is the answer. Um, I like that. Yeah, I think the one thing I know for sure is I don't know. Um, so I definitely can't say somebody else is wrong uh, or that I'm right. Um, I think death can be a motivator and mm-hmm. death can be scary. And having something to look forward to makes that journey a little bit easier. So do you, do you believe afterlife or i'm crossing my fingers that there is an afterlife but if i had to guess i would say there's not which is terrifying you know eternal darkness and all um yeah i'm hoping so reincarnation sounds cool is that like your hope my hope is yeah you believe that there's reincarnation like that would be the coolest thing yeah the coolest thing is i could be reincarnated as my cat as your cat? Yeah. I think cats live a pretty good life. My cat lives a great life. So yeah. if I could come back as my cat, it would be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I would go with. If I, you know, if I had to pick one that I was rooting for, 
reincarnation yeah. would be it. Interesting. I, you know, a lot of people have just like so many different wild ideas of afterlife and religion, and I think yeah. that the idea of I don't know is a very powerful stance. I think reincarnation would be a, a sweet, sweet one. Yeah, and I don't have an opinion about this either, but I could probably be more convinced that we're living in a simulation than... Well, let's get Elon Musk <laughs> in here right now. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. That's all I know. Is I don't believe there's an afterlife, but I'm crossing my fingers that there is one when the time comes. That yeah. And it's better, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we've been sitting here for quite a while. Okay. Um, How long are we clocked in at right now? We are clocked in at about almost an hour and a half-ish. Okay. Hit me. It is the, like, what is the life advice that you want to leave with anyone listening? You want to leave with your grandkids, your great-grandkids, whatever. What do you want to live on as what Richard said at this date forever? Yeah. Um, I think I have a couple. Definitely lead with kindness i think is where i would start i would definitely give that advice to rick 1.0 for sure um, lead with kindness be a good person um i think you have to be really really honest with yourself and figure out what it is that you want in life and maybe that you need some help with that and you need to talk to somebody to help figure that out it's, it's a hard conversation to have um you know, I recently heard something that said, think about you know, six to eight words that you would want on your tombstone, and that helps you to kind of define the things that are really important to you, and then that's where you should be focusing your time and energy. And I can't imagine many people are going to have, you know, they got that promotion on their tombstone, right? Or X amount of dollars in the bank or whatever it is, you know, that those things don't come up. It's being a good parent or child or significant other, or, you know, I want to be known as a good guy who was brave and did adventurous things and was funny. I'll get a couple laughs from here and there, but like those things, that's what's important. So why am I stressed out about my job? that doesn't show up anywhere you know i love being a financial advisor i can't imagine it's going to be in on my headstone anywhere right <laughs> you know it's i think it's important i think I do, the work i do is important but when it comes down to who i am as a person it's not important so like what is really important to you who do you want to be and then just be that person and try to care less about stuff that doesn't matter a lot of this i feel like this is advice i'm giving myself it's not i don't I'm not the guru who's got this all figured out. Like this is, I'm giving myself this advice at the same time. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I would go with. Definitely leave with kindness if I could only say one. And then most of the shit doesn't even matter. So just focus on the important stuff. Yeah, I I love it. I I subscribe to the same ideas. So yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, 
thank you so much for hanging out and taking the time out of your day, your weekend to come over here and hang out with me and do this. And I can finally get it <laughs> off the ground and pursue something awesome. Yeah. So it only took us nine years to meet face to face. Only nine. Nothing crazy. So I'll see you in nine years. Another nine years. Yeah. yeah. We'll, do, we'll, we'll recap this. <laughs> Rick 3.0. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, until next time, talk to you later. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again. Thank you for tuning in.